Hi folks, I'm Mel Tillis. Nobody knows better than I do how stuttering affects your life, but help is close at hand. If you, your child, or someone you know has a stuttering problem, reach for the phone and call the Stuttering Foundation of America for information. The toll-free number is 1-800-992-9392. Oh, paperback writer. That's another By one. the That's Beatles, paperback yeah. writer. I remember Ashley David said she wouldn't, that used to be the show's theme song apparently before the uh, host before, and she's hated that song, so she did, it was like kiboshed that one. <laughs> so I've never gone back to a theme song, but I like it, Jeff's. Hey, well, good afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers. <laughs> You've heard some back history. Um, we're probably going to start, well, let's just start talking. Uh, you're listening to WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers and a little bit of the back history of Living Writers there. We used to lead off with a paperback writer's song. Um, when Ashley David uh, came to the helm, though, we... Uh, we uh, we did away with that. So we're going to come back with a song from Bob Dylan. Um, but now I'd like to welcome my guests. I am just so pleased to have with me today um, three stunning guests uh, from Shaman Drum. <laughs> um, kind of here in, uh, I don't know. Well, we've got an hour to talk about it. But you may have heard that Shaman Drum is going to be closing its doors at the end of the month. And so uh, today, Carl Port, Leticia Mitchell, and Jeff Cass are here uh, with us to, to talk about the shop, its, its grand history, uh, what it means to our community, to the book life, um, and and kind of talk. I mean, not and not be sad the whole time. <laughs> uh, welcome, come on in, come on in. Um, so so now we've got uh, uh, Bob Curry is joining us. Whoa. Come on and sit down, Bob. We'll have to. I'll share with Carl. Sh yeah. Okay, look at that. Look at this is the spirit of community years, happening years here. <laughs> um, so so um, why don't we go ahead and 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 just start off a little bit. Uh, would you mind telling us sort of why you started the shop, Carl? How did, what, was, what was the birth uh, like of, of the shop? Well, uh, uh, see, I came here and, and moved, into Anna, uh, moved to Ann Arbor in 1970. I was a conscientious objector, and so I worked for, um, you know, worked for two years at St. Joe's Hospital. And I always, um, always liked hanging out in bookshops. And um, so when I finished my CO work, I started working in a Senecor bookshop in Ann Arbor, which is a really wonderful store that probably you'd have to be a certain age to remember. Uh, and um, then um, got married, decided that I had to get serious about my life. And, uh, Ooh, get serious. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I went to graduate school uh, in the program in American culture. And, um, and then I ta taught for three years at the University of Michigan in Flint. Uh, and then I moved back to Ann Arbor to, I was offered a job managing a scholarly bookshop uh, uh, up above where Sh Drum Bookshop now is, and uh, a bookshop called Paideia Books. Uh, is that where also the textbooks are in the present location? Uh, yes, too now? that's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, and then, um, oh, started a, uh, that bookshop was on its last legs, and um so that lasted. I moved and moved back to Ann Arbor in May, 
And then in October, it went out of business, and I started Shaman Drum Bookshop there then. And I wanted to do a, um, uh, you know, a bookshop that specialized in scholarly books in the humanities and um, uh, pretty highbrow. Yeah, uh, that's what I, uh, uh, I. This this community supported that and uh, could support it. Um, I wanted to. I always thought that the, you know, my idea that one of the best bookshops in the United States is the Seminary Co-op Bookshop at the University of Chicago, which is a specialty bookshop, like uh, our store, uh, except ours might be. Uh, you know, more literary or, or more, more poetry and, and uh, literature. So is that where the relationship began, Carl, where you have, because it almost seems um, at the university that there's the, the professors, if they have a book coming out, or any of, of, it seems like the writers that are in the MFA program, it's a rite of passage um, for mm-hmm. them. You know, maybe they know they've made it when they get to have a reading at Shaman Drum. Well, um, that's an honor to say that, but uh, uh, basically um, I I taught a course um, well, when I came back, maybe the year after I started the bookshop. Taught a course here in Native American literature at at, um, at Michigan. So I've always had. You know, I was in graduate school here, and I've had uh, a lot of friends in uh, um, uh, who taught. So my sense was that, uh, or you know, what I felt was that um, I cared about the uh, the sorts of books that we sold. Uh, about six months after I started the bookshop. Uh, some professors showed up and they said that it looked like what I was doing was, you know, essentially a crazy idea, and so they wanted to support it. <laughs> but the crazy wisdom name was yeah, already no, taken. That's right, that's right. <laughs> so they wanted to support it by ordering their textbooks through the store, and I said, well, if you do that, then you know what I can try to give back to you on a good day would be a first-rate browsing store in the mm. humanities. Um, that was a pretty good argument. We grew it up slowly. Uh, you know, I'm sitting next to Bob Curry, who. Uh, for many years was, um, and, and Bob had come from the University Cellar, uh, where he was, uh, uh, you know, worked in textbooks there. And so, uh, you know, through the years I've had this opportunity to have, um, you know, wonderful people. Leticia is here. Jeff is uh, uh I don't know if Jeff ever worked. Well, for the well, star, let's let's take a anyway. quick moment to um, like just jump in here. And would you mind saying look what your relationships are to the store? Because Jeff, um, you because you work with the neutral zone and and also um, high school. So with with youth programs, maybe and Leticia, you you do a lot of book buying, don't you? For the so would you guys mind just you know. Leticia, why don't you start? Okay. <laughs> okay. I have been working um, at the store since 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Um, and I got promoted to book buyer and also just buyer because I also buy non-book items for the store in late 2005, actually. So my history with the store is in the common era as opposed to Bob and Carl, who are <laughs> long before the common <laughs> era. Right, right. Way so, back in those Keith Taylor days, days, too, right? Exactly. right? Some long, long ago days. But no, my mm. real relationship began with the store in 97 when I started grad school at the university, actually. Um, and was a you know, an avid customer went in all the time. Um, and my favorite anecdote about the store is when I started working there, Vince Masana, who used to be, who used to do receiving, received all the books for the store. When I started working there, he was like, you bought a lot of books. Yeah. <laughs> and I was 
like, you know, and I had the look of shame, you know, came across my face. I was like, yes, I'm, I'm sorry, I guess, evidently. But, you know, my name was known evidently before I even started working there. But Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. You're, you're, so. Yeah, your rep preceded <laughs> right. you. So. And so before you even were on the payroll, you, yeah. were, you were spending any extra money you had on books there. Right, absolutely. And so. did that continue as, a, as you worked there? Did you sort of put your paycheck back into the shop in well, those ways? No, I did until I became buyer. One of the added benefits of being buyer is I get free books. Oh, so. that's, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, no, if only she hadn't become a buyer. Shaman drum. Exactly. <laughs> still be in the, is right. it the, the black is in the red? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Jeff, tell us, tell us about your, how, when did you first come to the drum? Well, I'm not a native Ann Arborite. You know, I, I grew up in New York, and I spent time in the Bay Area for five years and Seattle for two years. And I moved here because my wife was offered a job coaching crew at U of M. And um, Wow, that's great. Yeah, and, you know, I was obviously somebody who loved going into bookstores. And I think maybe it was our first day here just walking around the Diag. You know, we came across State Street and... Uh, you know, walked into Shaman Drum, and you know, I was a little leery about moving to Michigan, having lived on the coast. You know, and but then when we walked in and we just saw the books and what was on display there, it really made me feel like, well, yeah, this is a city where we could live and, and we could stay here. And you could have a like that that bookshop itself is a home away from. A yeah, home and it, and it's kind of become a, a sort of literary second home for me. And you know, just because there's so many wonderful readings that happen there. But also because the programs that I am involved in at the Neutral Zone. Because you're the director of the the the. Neutral yeah, the zone? literary arts programs over there. Not the whole zone, but just the literary arts programs. Not the programs, whole zone, right? okay. <laughs> and I teach creative writing a Pioneer. And, and, you know, we've been able to, sometimes when authors come into Shaman Drum to read, we can have them come to the Neutral Zone or come to Pioneer. For and, example, Sherman Alexie. Yeah, right. He Sherman did a, Alexie a did a reading at the, at the Neutral, Neutral zone, zone, which was a big highlight. And um, But also, I think, you know, just a place where I can send students and say, this is a place where you can get books. And this is a place where you can go see authors has been has been really wonderful and and Shamadron has also been very supportive of every endeavor we've done I, I remember in 1999 um, I had this kind of crazy idea after I'd gone to the National Poetry Slam for the first time to like bring some of the slam poets here and have a big performance in Michigan theater and uh, to do that it was gonna cost me something like eight thousand dollars to like rent the theater and bring all these poets in and put the show on I didn't have that kind of money. I thought, well, we can sell some tickets and we can try and get sponsorships. And I remember, you know, I'd lived in Ann Arbor at this point maybe about eight months and didn't really know people too well, didn't know Carl or, you know, anybody who really worked at Shaman Drum. Um, but I remember just bringing a proposal over and saying, look, we're going to do this big show. It's going to be called the End of the Millennium Poetry Explosion at the <laughs> Michigan Theater. And, uh, you know, we're looking for sponsorships. And, and I remember that, that Borders chipped in with $500, and I was really excited about that. And I was like, oh, it's great. And then, uh, then Shaman Drum also chipped in $500. And I was like, wow, that's really pretty exciting that this small bookstore will step up at the same level as the big conglomerate. You know, and, and that was just really heartwarming Not to me. Not to be outdone, right, right Carl? <laughs> right. And just, I mean, ever since then, every time we've tried to do something, whether it's bring in authors or, you know, have books to sell or, or put our books in the store to sell that we, that we published, you know, Shaman Drum has always been a huge supporter of us and, and a big ally in all our activities and, and just a driving force behind the growth of the kind of youth writing movement in and, the city. And maybe, Jeff, maybe later on in the program, we could hear maybe a story about one of the, the youth, like, because when somebody, when a youth has, a, like, an opportunity to read at a place like Shaman Drum after they've made something at the neutral zone, that just must be life-changing, I would think. So maybe, um, sure. but we'll come back. And, and Bob, Bob Curry, um, so, so when did you, what was your first, uh, I don't know, entree hmm. into, into the drum? You know, I think in... Um 
I think I started working at the store in 1986 at a time. I'd, I'd worked at a, a place called the University Cellar, uh, which was a, another another bookstore. Carl, Carl and I can make a list of bookstores <laughs> that we worked at that are no longer with us. But uh, um, well, that's a little sad, though. Yeah, isn't that's, it? That's a, yeah. But uh, I uh, came to Shame and Drum after University Cellar in 1986 to help Carl. I more or less set up the textbooks because I'd, I'd really done that at... Uh, at the cellar, and I kept on thinking I was going to leave, and I kept on staying, and I kept on thinking I was going to leave, and I think in I think it was about 2002, was it? I think so. Something like that. That I actually left the store, so I I, I worked a, a good chunk of good chunk of time at the store. It was great. It was it was like the mafia. It wouldn't just it would get bang on back there. Right. Well, well, maybe. And so it sounds like from that sort of a time span, you must have some some great stories too. So maybe um, let's take a short break. And uh, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel. Today um, we've got Shaman Drum on the program. Carl Port, Leticia Mitchell, Jeff Cass, Bob Curry. We'll be back.
to forward it around to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. You've <laughs> got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Um, thanks for being here with us today. Um, and many thanks to all my guests here. Um, we've got Carl Port, Leticia Mitchell, Jeff Cass, and Bob Curry here. Um, and if you, callers, if you would like to give us a ring with your, your memories and comments, uh, we'll do our best to get you on. And thanks for, we, we've, um, I'd like to say thank you to Brian for engineering today. Um, and uh, let's see. Well, let's get right back into the story, <laughs> shall we? Um, so Bob said that uh, Bob Curry has a, a story uh, that he'd like to, to throw out there because he's going to have to be leaving soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Carl and I were, were talking about this earlier, about things in the, that happened in Shame and Drama. And, um, I mean, the first thing I would say was it's incredible that the people I've met and the friends I've made through Shame and Drum. Just unbelievable students, faculty, you know. What is it people. about them? Like, is there something that you see that they actually have in common? or No. Or is it they're just so eccentric? <laughs> they, they, they <laughs> That's come, what they have in common. They come to Shame and Drum. You know, <laughs> so, sometimes forced the students and sometimes voluntarily, but it's, it's just terrific. And, and they always come back. They always come back. They always come back. But a number of years ago, we were thinking about this one particular story. There are a number of years ago, uh, a friend of mine started working at the store named Earl Jabat, and he was um, HIV positive at the time, and this was in the early 90s, 91, 90, and uh, he moved back from Los Angeles, and, and I was able to sort of, you know, finagle a job for him, and uh, he worked at the store and was a wonderful employee for, for a number of years. Uh, he became very ill in 1994 and passed away, and uh, the two most interesting parts of this are when he passed, the, the morning that he passed, August 19th, um, there were at least 10 people from Shame and Drum, you know, maybe more at the hospital, hmm. you know, that, that there was that at that time, there was that kind of community. And family, and that family. Like was, level it, of family, it was, really. It was wonderful. And about two weeks later, I was, you know, uh, Marty Gosser, who was another person who worked at the store, said, you know, Earl always felt that everybody should dress in drag. He never understood why we didn't. So we started an HIV AIDS awareness deal where every, the first day of book rush, which is the busiest day in Shame and Drum, the whole staff would dress in drag hmm. and uh, hand out condoms and information. And Hark was involved, the local HIV AIDS um, information center. And it was, it was terrific. You know, it was a terrific way to remember this lovely, lovely man that had been one of the employees. Yeah, and in a way, he so he would be smiling, looking at you guys yeah. all in drag then. Did you have a favorite outfit? <laughs> I, had, I had a lovely <laughs> what, black and yellow <laughs> strapless piece, but I mean, it's, you know. I bet you could shimmy in that. <laughs> <laughs> and Carl, what did you wear? Well, uh, I wore lipstick. <laughs> That's as far as I got. Or was it lip balm? I mean, yeah, how far no, were you no, willing no, to go lipstick. for this? Uh, and uh, right, too? Uh, is that about right? What's that? Is this story about right? Yeah, yeah. no, it is. Uh, and Bob's, uh, uh, you know, it was what was most interesting to me about it was that, you know, the first day of classes in, in September, you get a lot of students who are, you know, from all over the country. And they'd come upstairs and they'd see, you know, the men dressed in drag and women dressed in drag. And for the most part, nobody'd say anything. And they just sort of tried to be cool about it. Uh, instead of like asking, why are you people doing this? What's going on here? And I thought it was just. Uh, and then they just thought it was a bonus that they got some condoms <laughs> then, right? Yeah. They're like, I love uh, Michigan. Yeah. 
But I, th- I think that it was just like what's uh, not to love. Uh, they were just. Uh, uh, it was you know. I mean, I'm older, so I would, if that happened now, I'd say, "What's going on here? You know, what's uh, uh, what's this about?" But nobody did, no. which I thought was really funny. I always thought they were scared. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Me. No, I mean, I really did. I always <laughs> felt like the students were scared. You know? Yeah, it was did, one. Did it was you go all, through it. Yeah, I did. You know, I mean, you mean I'm scared to ask or scared, scared of all ask, the employees. Please. I think both, actually. I think I think it was no, both. Actually. That's not very welcoming, no. is it? No, no. I mean, I did. You know, I always hated that they that they didn't ask. You know, but I knew oh. that that staff would go out of their way to try and to try and engage people and let them know what was going on and why. But, mm, <laughs> right. but did, I think I had more to say about the school. Park there to yeah. Hand out information, so right. right. I think it was more about student. I mean, it was largely undergrads, you know, the, the yes. culture. But well, that's what, and that's what college is about, isn't it? Like to be a little shaken up. You know, if you're not shaken up, then it should be about that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or stirred, or something like that. Um, well, well, Jeff, what, since since you also have to leave us a little bit early, what what are some moments with the the youth programs that come to mind? Any particular youth writer or? Well, yeah, I'm for sure. There's a there's a young woman named Angel Nafis who's been working at Shaman Drum now for I think almost three years, and and um, she's a wonderful writer, and you know just had some difficult circumstances in her life, and I think that um, you know she was able to to start working at Shaman Drum, and I think that really helped her figure out who she 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 is, you know, and I think that she became uh, somebody who feels more confident about being part of the literary community. And uh, just feels like she's somebody who can go on and, and make a living and be okay. I mean, she sort of graduated high school and didn't really know where she was going. And I think over the last couple of years, uh, she's been going to school at WCC, and, and Shaman Drum has just been a, a rock of stability for her. And um, just watching her sort of grow into a person of consequence has been really beautiful to see um, at Shaman Drum. And the other thing is, you know, I was just in the store today, and uh, to see another one of my students, uh, Mike Moyarty who just released his his book called The Ill Lad and the Odd MC, um, you know, have a, a prominent place in the store and, you know, see his, his poetry book right in, the, right in the middle of the store where all the kind of future books are, was also really moving, you know, and, and thinking about, wow, you know, these, these, these people that have been sitting in my creative writing classes, you know, people are going to start reading their stuff. And I think Shaman Drum has been, you know, an, an avenue for them to, to kind of walk down that road and take those first steps. And for me, that's, that's incredibly powerful. We, it's, you know what, this, it is, it is really powerful, and I'm wondering what's going to happen when, and we don't, we don't have it uh, there. Uh, it, we have a caller on the line, um, and I believe it's Patrick O'Keefe. Um, Patrick, uh, he, he read from his book, The Hill Road, and for, and, and I'm hoping we're going to be able to hear from him now. Patrick, uh, are you there? Patrick? Patrick, are you there? <laughs> Thanks for bearing with us out there in Radio Land, everyone. Patrick? Not not getting any sound yet, but um, we're going to keep trying just for a moment. Patrick is calling in from Hamilton, New York, where he's um, he's a writing professor there. And... Hmm. <laughs> well, maybe this, you know, all I'm hearing right now is a little bit of feedback of what I've already said, which is, is disturbing. I'm glad that doesn't always happen because I don't think I'd probably keep doing this show. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, well, maybe what we'll do is when Patrick can, he'll pipe in and and then we'll just let him speak. <laughs> 
Oh, oh dear. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's let's just try and um, go go on. You know what? Let's. Patrick can call. Maybe Patrick, if you're there, thanks for calling. But I think we'll we'll just we'll go back to talking um, here, just just uh, among among us usual suspects <laughs> and maybe we if we can figure that out we'll give it another world before the end of the hour um but but yeah jeff you were saying that that so that this this shop is more than a place to go buy books it's more than a place to go and attend a reading which are all important things um but and as and as employees too uh, you spent years of your life there what does it mean uh like, w will there be a vacuum? Like, will will there be will the Great Lakes Literary Arts Center fill some of this, or what? What do you see I, the I scope so. of our community? You know, I, I absolutely believe there'll be a huge vacuum. You know, I think there's there's going to be a need for you know a place where emerging writers, where where local writers, where where people who aren't the you know big celebrities that some of the bigger chains are interested in, but are are wonderful writers, will have a place where they can read and a place where people can discover their books. And a, and a place where uh, you know the youth can have their work on display, and also, you know, sometimes take the stage in a real actual bookstore. And, and so, yeah, I think so, that's so an absolutely it's, it's, it's enormous need. Uh, important yeah. to have an actual bookstore. Like it's not like we're moving into some sort of virtual, <laughs> you know. Well, let's all click on this at the same time and <laughs> be in the same no, well, virtual I, reading room together. Or what do you think? Yeah, Leticia, what do you? Well, no, what I was going to say is that it is important to have an actual store. And that one of the things that um, I always loved about the store is the presentation of the books. It's, you know, part of book culture is the care in which the books are selected, in which they're presented. And that's all then part of the ethos of the store. And certainly as buyer, you know, that when I became buyer, that was something I was always very concerned about. And I never stopped being concerned about it is, you know, what what Carl and I were bringing into the store and you know and I had a big Carl let me have a big say in that he was very generous that way but you know something I was always very concerned about was that because it's it's the face of the store in a lot of ways you know until you develop a relationship with the store with people who work at the store this is the self it's self presentation are the books on its shelves are the books that are on display and that you want to care about what it is that you're bringing to the community um, and you want to make sure that you are maintaining that the personality of the store and if it you know and it shifts and changes over yeah, time what to is be the sure. personality of the store would you say because you can talk about mission and vision but that's great like what is the personality of the store well i think that uh, i mean uh, i'm 61 years old so i was really formed i graduated from high school in 1965 I think Bob may be uh, uh, considerably younger than I am. Carl's a Virgo. Uh, and um, so I, I think that uh, probably for all four of us sitting here that we were in uh, one way or another formed by um, the experience of the 1960s, or I certainly was, uh, and, uh, you know, for good or ill. Uh, and so the sense of community is something that's always been important to me. Um, and I also grew up on, in, in Flint, Michigan, which is a tough, uh, tough auto town. Uh, and uh, I was there in the late 70s when it went down, uh, when mm. it started to, to go south. And so my sense is that, uh, you know, you need to, if you, wherever you live, you should, you, you need to work to try to protect your community. 
because when it falls apart, it's awful. And um, so, you know, that my politics, if, if I have any politics, at, you know, at the age of 61, uh, it's uh, the importance of the idea of community. And I also am committed to the values of bookishness, which uh, <laughs> uh, may, uh, uh, you know, I think that uh, uh, Bob, Leticia, and Jeff are probably, you know, much more with it now than I am. I feel like uh, an old timer, but uh, so I'm committed to the values of you know what we think of as the traditional, what we think of when we think of as books, but you know I'm open for the ways that that gets. Uh, Jeff on the way over here was talking to me about uh, 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 poetry and young people and how how vital that is now, and I don't move in those social circles so much anymore. I'm a grandpa, I have two grandchildren, so it's um, it's really. Um, it's harder for me to stay in touch than it used to be. Oh, gosh, in a way, I wish there could be some miracle and your grandchildren were already ready to take the helm of the shop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess if we were living in an ideal world. <laughs> um, um, it looks like we've got Patrick O'Keefe um, on the line, and we're going to give it another try because we are, if anything, we are optimists. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And I'll just say, I'll do the station ID right now, WCBN FM Ann Arbor. You've got it. Living Writers um, today on the program, Carl Port, Leticia Mitchell, Jeff Cass, and Bob Curry. And we're going to have a go with this uh, again. Um, hi, Patrick. Are you are you with us, too, Patrick? I am, I, I am with you, Steve. All right. Wow. Hey, I, Patrick. I feel like we've <laughs> got, um, I feel like we've, we are talking to you on the moon, that we've got liftoff. This is, this is amazing. Thanks to Brian, the engineer, and, and Tex, and to Kristen. <laughs> yeah, actually, O'Keefe has landed. So, so Patrick, you're calling from, from Hamilton, New York? From Hamilton, New York, yes. And, and, I, and I read that news this morning about the shop, about Showman Drum, yeah. And, I, and what did you, what was your reaction? Oh, just, you know, of course, great sadness and, and just some tremendous memories of, uh, you know, personal and both going in there for the readings. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I did buy books there, although I did an awful lot of browsing, to, you know, the, 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 in the poetry section and the fiction section. And, uh, you know, Ray's great introductions I, yes. are, are very oh, memorable. Right. And Leticia's there, right? Yes, yes. hello. Hi, Leticia. Hi, sweetie. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Good. Yeah. Yes, Ray McDaniel, his, um, those those intros, where where will he introduce now? What's going... Uh, things oh, are crumbling. Ray down, I imagine. That's right. It is. It is. Ray, if you're listening, you're... Yeah. You... That's what we all feel, <laughs> what Patrick just said. So, Patrick, can you tell us, because um, when your first, when your novel came out, uh, The Hill Road, uh, could you tell us about that? Because you, that's actually, I, before I knew you as a, a friend, I, I heard you read at Shaman Drum. Yeah. Um, and it was for this this moment. Can What was it like reading there? Oh, you know, it's, it's the, you know, we, you know, I went to, what, I started graduate school there in 98 and you know we would go to almost all of the readings you know it was so exciting to go there and see all those nationally renowned writers that would come true and and you know i suppose you know you're like 
I'll never get up there myself and do that, or that's never going to happen to me. And and it was just really, I mean, it was such a, just such a wonderful um, moment to to get to stand up there and read and have reintroduce you and to have. Uh, you know, the, the, the community and to have all those people there yeah. is just a wonderful, Cause what, you know, it's probably what, the best part of it. What was it like, <laughs> what was it like looking out then? Because you probably, you're there and then you stand up after that moment when oh, Ray's I finished. I stared downwards, I was too, I was, <laughs> was nervous, I think. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, it was something, it was such a great honor, actually. You know, it's a great honor to get up there and read and well, what do you and think, Carl? From your friends and stuff. And to, yes, yeah. I think that yeah. the honor was uh, ours. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, well, well, Patrick, thank you. Do you want to stay on the line and just no, chat I get along? Off. That's or? Enough. <laughs> enough. Enough is no, enough. It was, before. It was, uh... Oh, oh, Leticia would like to say say something before before you head off. Okay, Patrick. Leticia. <laughs> yeah. No, it's nothing. It's nothing bad. But before the, but before your reading, you know, when your book, the day your book was um, to hit the shelves, you knew yes. it was going to. You knew it was going to hit the shelves, and you came in the store really early that morning, which I knew yeah, was I, unusual because you always browsed. This. Yeah, you always <laughs> browsed in the afternoon, I did. and you came in right when we opened, <laughs> and you were just looking around, looking around, looking around, and I was like, "Do you need help with something?" And you were like, "No, no, it's okay, it's okay." And then you, <laughs> he walked out. Of the, you walked out of the store, and then I went up to Shell Books probably about an hour later, and I saw your your book sitting up on the shelf and I was like this was why he was here why didn't he just say and I could have brought it down and we could have taken care of this but you were too afraid oh, wait, to you say mean they hadn't been put out yet they hadn't been Leticia? put out yet they were stickered and ready to go but you know some staff member which is going to be me that day need to bring them from receiving down to the trade floor but you know Patrick didn't say that's what he was in there looking for and if you had just said well I think the most books I sold I sold them there (laughs) 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 so God love it (laughs) no it was wonderful yeah I remember that now Leticia I'd forgotten it (laughs) right yeah it was it was really funny because I was like why is he here so early (laughs) (laughs) isn't he usually in bed at this hour (laughs) (laughs) well Patrick thank you so much for okay. calling All in. All the best, Carol and, oh. and Jeff and Leticia. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye, Bye. 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 Uh, well, that, well, this is something. It's it's actually it's still it's still um, it's still hard to believe. We're gonna since it's hard to believe, we're gonna take a short break, and uh, you're listening to Living. We'll be back. <laughs> 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 we'll have a musical interlude. Thanks. 
The peasants call her the goddess of gloom She speaks good English and she invites you up into her Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hudson. Today on the program, um, I'm so pleased to have um, Shaman Drum represented here with Carl Port. Leticia Mitchell and Jeff Cass. Uh, Bob Curry just had to um, head out because he's got a drive to get to. But maybe he, he's probably listening in the car right now. Hi, Bob. Uh, hi, Ann. Um, so, so at one point, um, we were talking about what will happen if, will there be a vacuum? Um, if there's not an actual physical space known as Shaman Drum for the book community. Um, and Leticia, you were mentioning how the books are, that's what I think is, is something that could be lost. Because when you go to browse, when you walk into a bookshop, mm. it's like you have a chance to, you know, if you're an introvert or if you're not, like you have a chance to find literally like some new friends that may be living or dead writers. And, and, and one book could be sitting, ne- a book that you know could be sitting next to something or facing out and like a face out book could kind of draw you in and then you find a new uh book um so so how how will it happen how what do you think about the book community now i'll just throw that out there and let's all have at it hmm. well i don't think that the um uh, that the system works anymore or that it works very well or certainly well enough for us and, uh, Do you mean as an independent bookshop, Carl? Or, I mean or what? as an independent bookshop. Chain bookshops are in real trouble. Uh, publishers are in trouble. The New York Times book review is in trouble. Everybody's uh, having a real hard time. I mean, every 500 years, this there's a. It seems there's this. Uh, you know, tech, 500 years ago, Gutenberg, in you know, came up with uh, the movable, movable type. type. <laughs> and it's 500 years later, and we're in the middle of this revolution, this electronic or digital revolution. And uh, there's going to be, and there already is, a lot of collateral damage. And you think about the, um, oh, the, you know, that um, and the collapse of the economy. And I'm afraid that for a lot of people, and I'm not including anybody in this room, but that books are really, uh, uh, you know, are not essential commodities. They are for all of us. But uh, so it's switching now. And, um, uh, you know, I tend to... Um, but switching to, like, will we not have physical objects? Will it be all, like, upload into your plastic-carrying portable tech device? Well, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that it's, like, sort of, like, the Kindle versus the physical book is the issue. You know, like, the electronic reader versus the, the one... Is it about readers? I think it, it has to do with, like, technology in a broader sense, you know, that you've got so many more different ways to entertain yourself, and you've got so many more ways to, to, to get stories, you know, whether that means through movies or through something on YouTube or, or you know, just uh, something digitally, that I, it, 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 there's just more competition, and I don't think that... that the book world has yet really stepped up to the plate in terms of what it really has to offer and figured out a way to make itself work, to make the system work. Because I think, look, as a teacher, students want what they always want. They still want 
ideas. They want their minds challenged. They want the escapism that comes with a story. They want the fantasy. They want, you know, they, they love that stuff. The imagination. Yeah, they want, it, they, want to, they want to spark their imagination in some way or another, and they want to open their minds. Books can do that, but there's other things that can do that for them also. And I think, you know, if we want people to continue to read as teachers, uh, as people who are purveyors of culture in our society, we just need to figure out a way to, to get that culture to, to, to young people maybe in a different way than it's happening right now. Right, because, you know, the thing about the thing about this conversation that, and it is a national and international conversation that we're having as we go through this revolution about, about books and book culture and bookishness, to me it's been coupled, I think, in a wrong way. It's sort of like people you know, are attaching a kind of a series of and a set of intellectual concerns, um, intellectual conversations and that kind of thing, as well as imaginative conversations, you know, as being somehow intrinsically linked to the book. And I don't think anybody is saying that. It's sort of like that will always be a need. People will always have a need to converse about ideas, to have their imagination sparked, you know, as Jeff so rightly put, but that it might not be necessarily in this form. And that the form is definitely changing, and that will shape the content in some in some way, most definitely. But I think that's much further down the line, much further down the line in history, actually. Um, so you're you know, saying like, there won't be just text? Is, I mean, what yeah. are what are what are you kind of? Well, what I'm what I'm suggesting is that it's what I'm saying is that it's not. You know, I think the book is the book itself as a physical object is dying. You know, and I and I'm not sad necessarily to see that go because it's you know it's a terrible drain on natural resources. However, what the book represents, what happens within the book, that's the important thing, and that will always need to be there. Right. Actually, so that the book is just holding a set of information. It's occasioning a series of conversations, but in and of itself, it's not. The but, is, but, it, but I actually, I, I disagree. So I guess I'll always be in that like camp that's the, the I don't know, the horse-drawn carriage camp or something. <laughs> because I feel like the book is an artifact, is, is mm. like it's an art object. Oh, or I agree. Or yeah. there's something about it having then the imagination that we bring to it. It's, it's a life somehow. Also, this book itself. I think. Um, I think also, and and I don't mean to disagree with Latisi because I think that um, uh, you know that there'll be we're at, we're at an age where you know in Plato wrote about uh, um, the movement from um, an oral to a written culture, and one of the uh, Socratic dialogues, and I can't remember which one it is, but uh, challenges the idea. Says that you know uh, speaks against. Uh, uh, you know the the movement from a, uh, things oral culture is better than a written culture, and so I don't want to sound like one of those uh, uh, you know squares back in uh, 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 you know uh, arguing against that. But I think that the, you know in we terms can still of make an, fire. Uh, yeah, uh, that in terms of an efficient technology, that what we think about when we think about books is it's still the most efficient. Tech now, all the production costs are up front, uh, and I think about a couple. You know, maybe five years ago, they dug this um, this book that had been cast into a, a bog in Ireland in the 12th century, and they dug it out of this bog, cleaned it off, and they could still read it. Now that's a pretty efficient technology, uh, and um, it says something for bogs too. Yeah, it does. Uh, but you know, given the um, um, uh, the and a lot of people with electronic books don't. You know what are the, what are the costs on into the future in terms of energy costs, in terms of storing this information, elect, you know, electronically. Probably they're very or will uh, it small disappear? Right now. Will it will it disappear easily? Because you have like these. 
I don't know, with yeah. an object, you feel like, well, unless you lose the book, which I guess you could too, but, but with, with, if it's just in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and the words come and go, or it's in, it just feels like it's, you could lose it more easily. Well, and, I, about and five what years are we ago, we don't uh, have our artifacts. Yeah, about five years ago, I heard somebody refer to a book as an information platform. Hmm. And there are multiple information platforms. But I think that the book is a pretty good one. And as Jeff said, you know, I think we, I mean, I'd like to, and I'm not, you know, up for doing it today, but to talk about the neurobiology of reading. A lot of people are doing mm. research on that mm-hmm. versus watching movies or the kind of level of, you know, neurological engagement that, uh, well, of that course, happens when you read. Literally the imagination, right, Carl, with different mm-hmm. parts of your brain would be firing because you're creating the pictures or the visuals. It's not just right. a wash washing over you or, or. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, I think, want to make the comparison between the music industry, you know, and the book industry. And they want to say, well, you know, vinyl disappeared and, and cassettes disappeared and CDs are on the way out. And, you know, that's really what's going to happen to books. But I don't think it's a direct parallel. Like, I, I really think that the, the technology of the book actually is very efficient, you know, and it is sustainable. I mean, I think that Leticia brings up good points about natural resources. So, I, you know, I'm not yes. necessarily opposed to, like, a lot of text not necessarily being collected in a, collected in a book. But, but I think, like, just opening up a book and reading those pages, you know, wherever you are, in bed at night, on the beach, you know, on the subway, on a bus, I don't... I'm not convinced that an electronic reader where you've got to deal with batteries, where you've got to deal with glare, where you've got to deal with sand getting in it, is going gonna, is gonna to really be better in the way that it's obviously kind of like, you know, the iPod it works better than a vinyl record. So, I, you know, I, I'm not convinced that books are totally going to be something in a museum. I, I, I think that there's still going to be a place for them. I think the publishing industry, you know, is going to have to revamp itself. I don't know how. But I think that's going to have to happen. There's also the issue of, um, you know, the the way that uh, the, the culture of linking from one fact to the next, uh, and uh, you know, hyper hypertext and uh, and and the kind of hyperlinks, uh, and um, I think that that's really a. Um, uh, an issue that people don't, you know, I heard somebody recently said that they thought that, you know, that one of the things that could happen, and this is very speculative and seems like sort of science fiction to me, but that the, that the people could forget about, forget how to understand narrative. Mm. And that instead you'd have a bunch of factoids kind of floating out there and uh, be fairly disconnected. And that's similar to the, you know, that's sort of talking about the way that we, uh, uh, move through uh, information on a computer. I thought that was very interesting. I don't. I don't know what to think about it. And and um, uh, you know, and that's. It sounds slightly apocalyptic. And I'm in a somewhat apocalyptic mood today. But uh, uh, so I'm predisposed to that sort of thing. But I'm interested in what you guys think about that. Well, I mean, I, I think that's an excellent point because I think that when you're talking about an electronic reader and, well, you know, it's, it's, it's said that this is an advantage, you know, well, you can link to another piece of information or another author. That's all well and good for certain kinds of reading that you're doing, you know, nonfiction, research, etc. But I'm sorry, when I'm in a novel, the last thing I want is to be like pulled out of it into something else. I want to be escaping in that story that I'm in. And, and I think that, you know what, my daughter's eight years old, she's the same way. You know, I think that's a natural human part of us. I don't think that everybody wants to be like, oh, let me just see what this link goes to. You know, I, I'm not thinking about a link when I'm involved in the story. 
but I don't. But see, this is my thing. It's sort of like my my whole feeling about you know as we go through as we go through this technological revolution and shift, is not to be afraid of it. You know, and I think so much of a lot of what people have to say about bookishness is that it comes from a real position of fear. I don't think people are going to want to stop falling into story at could all. We, could we, for a moment, um, mm-hmm. define bookishness? Or could you, I should say, because <laughs> I, you, you all have mentioned it, I think. And oh, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I, I brought it up maybe, and uh, it's because recently, um, on May fifteenth, I think, the university or the fourteenth, uh, 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 Michigan Quarterly Review, uh, uh, in the English department at the University of Michigan, um, sponsored this wonderful day-long symposium on the on bookishness. Uh, and um, so but basically what they're talking about is the culture of, of books um, as we think of, uh, you know, the book as a codex or, a, um, you know, um, uh, as opposed to a scroll or as opposed to an electronic book, what we think of when we think about books. Well, that's good, though. Yeah. Nice that I, I was out of the loop on that for sure. <laughs> Because, you know, in the old days, bookishness would mean, you know, you'd be talking about maybe a certain type of person who was quiet or an introvert or um, or who had a serious relationship with ideas. Uh, but, you know, like, so that's why I wanted to sort of mm-hmm. understand what and, and is that what you mean by it as well, Leticia? Yeah, I think when that's also that is also definitely really part of it mm-hmm. as well is, you know, it's, it's also a personality of the of a particular kind of reader goes along with that, you know, um, for good or ill, in any kind of way. But, but you were talking about like the yeah. idea of not to be afraid. But not to be back. afraid, yeah. So not to be afraid of it, and that need to fall into story um, and to pull yourself into into the book, be it fiction or nonfiction. That's not going to go away, no matter how you get it. You well, know, because is that just being a part of being human? Uh, uh, no, if Jeff is right, you know, then he's saying that that's a part of being human, and then certainly there is sort of historical evidence for it. Even you know, Carl mentioned the move from oral culture to written culture, um, and the fear that were tendent there. You know, people sat around listening to stories, and now we read stories, and that's not, you know, I, I just don't see that falling out in any kind of way, even as this technology, even as technology shifts. So I'm not afraid of it. And, and you tell us, be not afraid. I tell you, well. be not afraid. And yes, we are, you know, and I think eventually what's going to happen is we are going to read differently, we'll think, we'll process information differently. But, you know, that's a, those kinds of shifts are always happening anyway. So. Yeah, but I, I think that, you know, this community thing is important, too, that Carl brought up earlier, because, you know, there's something about, you know, going into the bookstore and being amongst a community of, of readers and writers. And like Patrick O'Keefe was talking about browsing, you know, part of that is just the feeling you get from just being there and, and, and feeling like the books on the shelves are potentially friends and, and the people who are looking at the books on the shelves are potentially friends. And, and when we hear these stories together, it's different than hearing it alone, you know, and, and um you know, we think about movies, too, you know, and, and I, I think one of the things that's interesting is that in the economy, the movie industry actually right now is doing okay. You know, people are going to see movies, and that doesn't really surprise me. Because you're saying that they go to sit in the dark together? Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, we were talking, uh, Carl, on the way over, I, I was telling him that, you know, the San Francisco Youth Poetry Slam, 3,000 people go to the, the finals at the San Francisco Opera House, and I think that is speaking to that need of, you know, we want live experiences, too. You know, we want these community experiences, so... You know, it, I think that I don't think it's all going to go one way or the other. You know, I'm I'm with Leticia. I don't think we should be afraid of technology. I think we should embrace what's good about it. I think we should look to where books can go and where reading can go. But let you know, let's not forget even about before books. Back to that oral culture, being around the campfire That's and true. the power of that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. The people around the firesides were like, no 
these books. They're taking away our captive audiences. <laughs> um, but but let's talk about the community of um, the that what else the book like what Shaman Drum did and maybe the existing community. Like what are some of the other? Will other bookshops in the community offer more readings or what? What will things look like? Do you think? We've been um, we've been actually partnering, and this has been real interesting to me, with the Hatcher Library at the University of Michigan, um, and uh, we did a couple of events with them recently. And so the libraries, there's a sort of blurring that's a, that's occurring, and so that libraries and 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 bookshops and uh, uh, youth centers like the uh, the Neutral Zone, it's sort of you know they're they're. Um, doing the same thing as so having readings there, uh, you know, getting people to uh, uh, come together, and I think this is all very good. I mean, Ann Arbor still has a, and I, I said this in a note I sent to the community, that it is a, still is a wonderful uh, book town, and uh, there's uh, you know, uh, Crazy Wisdom and Nicholas Books and and Agatha's and uh, the Vault of Midnight and uh, the West Side Bookshop, West Side Bookshop, um, the uh, Don Don Treader, yep. some like really wonderful. Uh, uh, this is a wonderful book community. And at one time, and I think this was back in the late 1960s, but early 70s, that more books were sold here per capita than in any other any other community in the United States. Uh, and that's something that, uh, you know, so this has been in the past a kind of mecca for, uh, for books. And that's changed as it's changed everywhere. But um, that needs to be supported by people uh, or it'll go away. Hmm. Yeah, it will. Um, and so where does, so, th- so those are s- sort of, uh, those are s- str- some strong words to hear and we have to but well I mean what could could something have been done so that shaman drum didn't have to go away is that something we should talk about oh uh, I, I don't I mean I, I I'm very been doing this for been a bookseller for 35 years and uh, I've been doing this store for 29 years and 28 of the years were really good ones uh, and uh, uh, so I've had a long, you know, this store and, you know, with the help of people like, you know, Bob and Leticia and Jeff, this has been, uh, I've had a long, good run. Yes. Uh, and longer than, than most people. So, uh, no, I, I think that. Uh, but it's I do th- time. Yeah, I think that. And I think there's been a shift in the culture um, and away from maybe the. Uh, uh, the, the the practices of reading that the store has represented, and uh, and I think that that's okay. Um, you know, most days I think that that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes I don't. Well, I would like to just say thank you, Carl, for everything that you brought to the community, and you know, Leticia too, for your great work over the past several years. And you know, it has meant a ton to me personally, to the youth programs in the community. And I think just to Ann Arbor at large. And you know, I'm going to miss Shaman Drum for sure, and I know a lot of people will. Um, and I think we do have to figure out a way to to hopefully you know bring back some of the things that were happening there that can that can find another another home because. Um, you know, what a, what a cultural force that store has been over the last three decades. And I will say, too, on behalf, since I, I came here um, to start in, to be in graduate school, that the store has been a tremendous, um, you know, gathering place in lots of different ways for the university community. And definitely, Carl, on behalf of the university, I would 
you know, I definitely know I can say this, will definitely be missed. Absolutely. Thanks, Leticia. I mean, I think that uh, I think that people will figure it out. Uh, and uh, what we should be thinking about is what's the bookshop of the future going to look like? Because the bookshop of the present doesn't work, as I said earlier, for anybody. Uh, and that that's really interesting and creative uh, possibilities there. I think it's great. And hopefully it will have a physical space. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Right. No, true. So that we all have a place to go and, I don't know, mill around and... Right. Look at books and, I don't know, shake hands or something with other bookish types. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's almost like a, you know, an, an unspoken moment that happens when you walk into a bookstore, which is, you know, you're feeling like you're making this this commitment to, to open the door and walk into the space because you're concerned with thinking you're concerned with a life of the mind and i think that you know there's other ways that people can do that too but to have a place in the middle of a, a street that has you know a lot of clothing stores and, and ice cream shops and you know, a place you can get a sandwich but to also have a place that that's just feeding your mind and your imagination um you know a library does that too but yeah and it's a different kind of thing and you know i just I, the- I feel like i'm going to miss that ability to just say like I'm going to stop for a minute today just to walk in here to make that commitment yes. to like my like spiritual well-being. So, you know. Yes, and I, and I mean people and countless like the the people who come through Ann Arbor, like not only the citizens of Ann Arbor, but you know whenever you go to a, a city or a town, I always look for the the bookshop, the you know, the great mm-hmm. bookshop mm-hmm. and and so so many people. There's going to be so many reverberations, but thank you Carl for your Thanks. your um, immense work for 29 years in on state street i've been repaid at shaman drum in you know times 10 for the work that i put in it's been a great life and, I, and it will continue to be yes it will yes um well i'd like to thank all of you for being here today um my guests in the studio leticia mitchell jeff cass carl port earlier bob curry um on the phone patrick o'keefe thanks for calling um thanks for listening ann arbor thanks to brian for engineering and and Kristen uh for for helping out there (laughs) and uh and thank you for streaming wherever you are listening um this has been living writers i'm t hetzel until next time
without any sorrow. Yeah.